I guess one of the things I want to share today and that ties into so much of what you're sharing with this podcast and with your work is like, I, if it wasn't for the practices, the awareness of self that helped me realize, okay, where are my weaknesses? Where have I struggled all my life with having control or having an awareness and control and agency over my mind, over my thoughts, over my responses, right? My triggers. And, you know, basically wiring my nervous system, preparing my nervous system, preparing my mind to go into this, you know, very intense situation, this very intense process of birth and being able to hold my own, to hold my intentions, to to hold my true desires, my ultimate goals and desires when it comes to birth, no matter what. Hello, hello, it's me, Isabel Restrepo, and you're listening to the Mentor Your Mind podcast. Our mind can run around in circles to give meaning, make decisions, and navigate life's stressors. In this podcast, we view the world through the lens of human design, mindfulness, and other modalities to, well, mentor your mind and go from chaos to clarity. Like the song says, free your mind and the rest will follow. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. In this episode, we have a very special guest, Georgia Tokash, who is an evolutionary astrologer and sacred activist, and our conversation around astrology, but more importantly, her sharing her birth story absolutely inspired me. I want to note that during our conversation, we use the term mothers quite often, and we're both learning to use the term birthing people to encompass the experience of all. I also want to mention that my critique about the birth process is geared towards where we are today as a society instead of the individual choices of each birthing person. And you might hear that throughout this episode. And a book I'd like to mention is if you're interested in exploring this topic a little bit more is called Birth, The Surprising History of How We Are Born by Tina Cassidy, which I've linked in the show notes. And a lot of the books that we mentioned and resources, these are also in the show notes. Okay, let's kick off this episode with a very happy birthday to Leo, as at the time of this recording, it wasn't his first birthday yet. And happy birthday to Georgia as well. All right, enjoy. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I am so excited. We have Georgia Tokaj here. She is an evolutionary astrologer and sacred activist. And I am just so, so, so excited and honored to have her here today. She is going to be sharing astrology with us, but mostly her birth story. She has a almost one-year-old son, and I'm just so excited and honored that she's here sharing this with us. And I'll give you a little bit of background, the listeners, on like how we met. So Georgia, um, I think I found her on Instagram, or I found her somewhere. And the way that she spoke about astrology just really called to me. And then we had a session. And the other thing that stood out to me was that at the time, and then you can share with us later if this is still how you operate your astrology readings, but it was this thing called in the gift where you you give, you know, gift, whatever that may be um, after the session. And I was just like, wow, what a beautiful way to do business and to offer these types of readings. And she just blew my mind with the whole reading. It was so beautiful. And that was years ago. That was like 2021. And then I saw a post. Uh, I 
something on her story about um, her birth story and wanting to share it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to hear it. And then we ended up talking and here we are. (laughs) Georgia, thank you so much for joining us, for taking us through your birth uh, story with us today. I feel so honored and I'm so excited. So that was a lot, (laughs) but so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Isabel. I really appreciate it. Again, I've shared this with you. I am so grateful that you invited me to share this story. I was, you know, holding that in my heart that I was going to share it somehow, some way. I didn't know how. Um, but yeah, this is the first time that I'm sharing anything about um, Leo's birth story um, and my birth as a mother, right? Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, shall I share, I, I guess I could share some of the sort of um, the basics of, of really what happened with, with Leo's birth. Um, and then I can share some of how I got there. And really this process um, that was such a, a deep, a deep unraveling process of seeing where so much of my conditioning so much so much conditioning that I carried so much programming that I carried and that I learned that we we all carry in so many ways around birth um and what birth is and what birth can be and cannot be and then sort of this process of then reprogramming like deconditioning myself and reprogramming myself reconditioning myself so that I could have this birth that was safe, calm, gentle, like even, you know, birth, that birth can even potentially be pleasurable or even ecstatic. I mean, those were some of the things that I actually began to, that became into my periphery. And even some of your listeners listening to this now will think, is that even possible? And that sounds so far-fetched. That sounds, sounds so impossible, truly. And I felt the same. But I now, yeah, I have this, um, the way I move through the world now, it, it's it's so incredible to be on the other side of this experience um, where I really had this opportunity to step, to, to feel my own power. Um, and, and I am so grateful, however, for the resources and the experiences that got me to this place and that my birth wasn't exactly as... Um, I wanted it to be. I mean, we have to accept that birth is wild and it's mysterious and it can take many different turns. But I feel I can stand on the other side of it and say that on the most part, it went the way that I intended it to go. And that is an incredible feeling for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I think you had mentioned that Leo's almost one. Yes. So we're coming up to a year anniversary of his birth, but also of your just kind of like, I don't know what you'll take us through, you know, you're on the other side now of a birth, which I think is so beautiful and so magical. And I mean, birthing people have this capacity to create a whole human in their bodies. That's amazing. Like, how do we not empower these people? (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And here's the key, right? Is that we pretty much for the most part, pregnancy is an unassisted process, right? You pretty much surrender. You have to surrender. This baby is growing inside of you and 
mother nature is doing its thing. And then for some reason, even though this, you know, our bodies are doing this incredible process of growing the baby, when it comes to the birthing of it, we take our hands off the wheel and we just think, okay, medical professionals take this wheel. I don't know what I'm doing. My baby doesn't know what it's doing. My, 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 my baby doesn't know. My body doesn't know. Um, so we give away our power, our agency completely and entirely. And, you know, I, what I will share is that my, the, the birth, um, of Leo was seven, four, was 47 hours long. It was 47 hours long. It was unmedicated. So I had, I was, I had some gas in there at the very, very end. Um, and I didn't have much of it because I was terrible at taking it. Quite frankly, I didn't know what I was, they kept telling, trying to tell me how to do it. Um, but also it was kind of interrupting my own breathing, which actually is what had carried me through the 47 hours of unmedicated labor. And that was my tether. And I wanted to keep going with that. Um, but it was 47 hours and it, it was at the, it was intended to be a home birth. Um, and it was at my mother-in-law's house in Cambridge. It was 10 minutes away from the hospital, from Adam Brooks Hospital, the Rosie Hospital, which is, you know, Adam Brooks is world famous as being one of the best hospitals in the world, I think. I mean, especially being in Cambridge, the UK, right, has access to like the best research, you know, yeah. some of the best medical professionals and education. And um, so I was 10 minutes away. So it's like, okay, if there are any emergencies, quote unquote, it's like, okay, we can get there to the hospital. Um, but it, and it was about 39 hours in that my water finally broke. Um, and I was with my two birth partners, which were is my um, partner, Aris, who's the father of Leo, and um, also my sister, Molly, who was my other birth partner. And it was just us three in the house. Um, and the, there were some, there were two midwives that visited, um, two sets of midwives that vis visited along the way to check on things, check on how things were going, because it was pretty long. However, pretty long, really. It was it was pretty long. But actually, first time births very commonly, though this isn't spoken about, but actually first time births are pretty long usually and much longer than usual. Um, so I was aware of that. But it was that 39 hours in my water finally broke. And there was a the, the second midwife happened to be there at the time. And there was a tiny bit of meconium in the waters, which is um where the baby has released its bowels a little bit. And this is seen as a danger. And so as per protocol, they were like, we need to take you in. So I, this was the worst moment of the birth for me. This is what I will share, which was actually pretty incredible. When I look back on that day, on the birth of Leo, 47 hours of, of unmedicated labor. And the only time that I broke down the only time that I felt myself losing it truly mentally, right? That mental strength of I can do this. I am strong. I will make, I will make this. My body knows what it's doing. I trust. I surrender. Like all of this kind of, you know, really, really strong messaging that I had placed into my mind and throughout my cellular body, which had just been absorbed and, and, you know, which I'll share in a bit of, of that process of, of how I did that in the months leading up to Leo's birth. But in that moment, I really did break down. And the reason for that was because I had to step into the delivery unit of Annenbrooks, which of a, of a hospital, 
which was the last thing that I wanted to do. And I find that quite profound because what I realize is that I had gone from being, which most of us feel, so incredibly fearful of birth, so fearful, so right, terrified of birth. Like, okay, holy shit, it's going to be so painful, the most painful experience of my life. Of course, I'm going to be in a hospital. Medical professionals take over. You know, epidural, give me it. Give me all the painkillers. I need to numb this. I need to just get through it. And then I can have my baby in my arms. Um, And I don't know how I got from being that fearful about the birth process and about, um, uh, uh, yeah, about the birth process to then my actual fear was truly only about the medical professionals themselves and about them having control over my birth and taking my power and agency away and me having no choice about what happens to me and my baby pretty much. Um, and that I would have to leave my birth, you know, my, my, my birthing state, my natural birthing state, my trance-like state to fend off battle against these quite frankly bullying medical professionals midwives and doctors and that's what I had to do is about all my fears were realized and it was that moment and it was such a shame because the only reason that I chose to get in that car and be taken to the hospital was because my sister bless her had misheard the midwife the midwife said we're gonna have to go into the delivery unit but my sister heard the birthing center So there was a miscommunication and I thought we were going to the birthing center, which is a bit different. You know, you don't, it's like a perfect midway point. There's birthing pools. Mm -hmm. There's so much, you can have the low lighting, you can have the calm environment. You know, there isn't as much of a panic button energy, you know, like that panic, panicking, you know, there's, there's the, the people that work in the birthing centers usually have a different approach, a different, you know, it's still a halfway point. You still have a mix of the other end of the spectrum, but there's so much more of a trust in them. And so I thought we were going to the birthing center, but we arrived and I was like, this is not the birthing center. They said, this is not the birthing center. And the midwife and looked at me and said, no, no, you're going into the delivery unit. And I just broke down. And like I say, Isabel, the sad thing is, is that, yeah, the, the next, you know, seven to eight hours that I spent in that delivery unit, my, my worst fears were realized. And I had to come out of my contractions, like, well, excuse me, I couldn't, you can't do that. That's the whole thing. You literally can't come out of contractions. But what happened was between contractions, I had these like, you know, 60 second windows of like, where I was, you know, wasn't completely taken over by a contraction. Of course, naturally, that's the, what's supposed to happen. But in those 60 second windows, I had to come into my right brained, like rational mind and speak to these like mm. doctors and tell them what I wanted um, um, to basically to back off and let me birth my baby. And um, if I didn't do that, things would have gone very differently. So thank goodness I did. But um, I guess one of the things I want to share today and that ties into so much of what you're sharing with this podcast and with your work is like, I, if it wasn't for the practices, the awareness of self that helped me realize, okay, where are my weaknesses? Where have I struggled all my life with having control or having an awareness and control and agency over my mind, over my thoughts, over my responses, right? My triggers. And, you know, basically 
wiring my nervous system, preparing my nervous system, preparing my mind to go into this, you know, very intense situation, this very intense process of birth and being able to hold my own, to hold my intentions, to, to hold my true desires, my ultimate goals and desires when it comes to birth, no matter what. And I did it. Isabel. And, mm-hmm. and I am a true example. I feel like if I can do this, anyone can, because I am, I have the longest, strongest history of completely giving away my power, my agency, complete people pleasing. Um, you know, especially when faced with, you know, I come from a very academic, um, science-based, like authority-centered mm-hmm. background. You know, you trust the professionals, right? I come from a long line of people that gave yes. away their power again and again for that, you know? And I I had to, tr- I was surrounded by a room of them saying, no, this is what's going on with your body. This is what we need to do. This is the, and I was saying, no, this is what we're going to do. This is my body. This is my yes. baby. This is what we're going to do. And that was like, I truly, it's like an out of body experience of truly thinking about what I did compared to the person I was. But again, I'm so grateful for the process that got me to where I am and the people that helped me get there. So that's some of what I'd love to share as well of um, how I got how I got from there to there. <laughs> Which is yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. As you as you're saying all of this, I'm just over here like, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like over here cheering you on. I think I think mostly because it's whether you're in whether you're birthing a child or even if you're just going in for something um, like, you know, like, you know, that there's something in your body and it's like, where did we as a society move away from being in our bodies and trusting our bodies? And, and uh, it's, and, and I guess I say that not to be like, oh my gosh, doctors are the worst because doctors are great. They have, they also help us in many different ways. But I think these contrasts are not ultimately beneficial. It's okay. Yes. A doctor can step in when something goes wrong and, you know, it's an emergency, but if you're having, you know, your regular birth, you don't need all these other extra things and like bully nurses coming in or bully doctors. Like, that is the last thing we need during a birth experience. And mm-hmm. I say that because because uh, if you're listening, you're like, well, who are you, Isabel? Like you're a, you know, you're just Isabel. But and well, I guess even even as I say that, I'm like not to like validate my stance, but um I was telling Georgia before we started recording, I was like, oh my gosh, I've just had this like natural inclination to learn about this. In college, I studied psychology. And my like thesis was about the benefits of natural childbirth. And then I think it was 2021, I did uh, a doula course. So like, I think part of this fear that you speak of, of like, oh my gosh, the birth experience is so scary. It's the most amount of pain. And I'm like, I I don't want that belief system. So how can I like educate myself to know other ways of doing things? And I think whether I had those two instances of like college or doula course, I think either way, like my opinion still stands and I think is valid of like, 
why are we giving our power away in these situations? So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In so many ways, it goes back to that episode of yours from the podcast that I listened to a while back about, you know, relative to what you just shared about where, like, why have, how have we, it's, it, you know, come to not trust our body, innate body wisdom in so many areas of our life. You know, yes. birth is a <laughs> birth is one of the greatest extremes of that. You know, to comp- to go into the absolute like primal wild that we are, and to trust that completely, to completely and utterly leave the neocortex, right? To completely and utterly leave the the right brain, and to trust in the limbic system, to trust in our bodies. Um, but that episode that you did around, you know, human design really shares this this baseline wisdom of actually we think that decisions are made with the mind, but are, and that our minds are made for making decisions. But actually, our minds are made for many things, but not for making decisions. And the body knows, right? The body knows, and all of us are white, like you know, are made differently as to different parts of the body and different processes that do make decisions and how we make decisions and how human design charts can share that with us but um which is just beautiful but you know even just okay we can get so lost in the mind right lost in the mind of um what does i mean one of the main things what does everyone else think right this is where and this is where i was going to bring this into one of the key ways that i had to address and heal myself so that I could even, you know, in any way close to deal with the process of pregnancy and birth in a sovereign way was to heal the shadow of my inner Libra. Um, In astrology, Libra is the sign of relationship. It's the sign of the other. Um, It is the sign where if you carry heavy Libra placements, a lot of Libra placements in your chart, you do too, actually, as well, I believe. Um, Mm. It's you know, there is, it's where we, it's where we, instead of asking, you know, the opposite of Libra is, is Aries, right? Oh, absolutely. You do, Isabel, just thinking about your chart for a moment. Um, you do a lot that the opposite of Libra is Aries. Aries is, um, is I, me, my, what I want, right? Libra asks, hmm, what are your thoughts, needs, views, values? And so if you have those heavy placements, you and I do absolutely, for those that um, are familiar with these terms, I have Venus, which rules Libra, in Libra, squaring my lunar nodes. So from an evolutionary astrology perspective, I have lived lifetimes of trying to heal and move through and over the shadowy parts of having a Venus in Libra, that Venus in Libra energy, which is what? It is to be so concerned with the wants, needs, and values of other people that we completely and utterly lose ourselves in the other. We, we, uh, when it comes to, let's say, the whole flight fight response, I completely go into fawn, fawn response. I'm so sorry. How do you feel? What do you need? I completely Mm. leave my body. I literally have left my body time and time and again. Mm. So I didn't even know, Isabel, what my body felt like. What did it feel like to stand, to sit in my truth? What feels true for me? What feels right for me? What do I want? what do I even want? You know, that was the, the, 
utterly disorienting thing is you know to even yeah so that you know that Aries factor of that Aries within me that area Aries in a warrior that we all carry had no freaking clue what she wanted what she thought because it had been so utterly consumed and sucked into that shadow Libra and the thing about this is this is very relevant for all of us right now right like Mm -hmm. I in order to to have the birth that I wanted I had to galvanize that inner Aries, that inner masculine. It's primal masculine. It's interesting. In order to, it's it's a shame, you know, I actually feel really sad about this. I feel like when it comes to birth, we should be able to completely and utterly relax into our feminine, right? To completely surrender, to trust and be held actually by sometimes, let's say, more masculine figures around us that might protect and contain the space so that we can be in our feminine. But because we do not live in that society, in that culture, uh, in order to prepare the space for my own birth, I had to absolutely galvanize my inner warrior. And women today do have to do that. We have to fend off. We have to say, truly fuck off, like back the fuck off. Excuse my language. I hope swearing is okay in this podcast. It's all good. It's all fucking good. (laughs) That's Aries though, right? Like it's like back off. I I mean, I had never been like that my whole life, but it's like, actually, if I didn't do that, because this is the piece, um, I always say this, I believe that Libra is the, and those that carry a lot of placements of Libra, of of people pleasing, of the focus on other rather on self, it is the most fetishized energy sign archetype of the Zodiac relative to the current Capricornian system, status quo within which we live. If you carry those placements, if you exhibit those qualities of niceness, the nice girl, the good girl, the charming girl that doesn't doesn't stick out, you know, doesn't um, cause a ruckus, doesn't create conflict, doesn't resist, right? Does just says yes, yes, a good yes girl, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the system's gonna love you. They will take you. They will. They will encourage you, encourage those qualities. They will reward you for that, um, you know. And that has been me the, my whole life. So much of any success I had, any flow, any ease of my in my life was because I was saying yes to others and no to myself. Well, at some point, that you know, that inner wild woman is going to be screaming to break free, and um. This is, I guess, like I say, this is what's so relevant for us all right now because the uh, Libra has just moved into the South Node and Aries is in the North Node. Uh, uh, sorry, excuse me. The North Node will be in Aries for the next 18 months. So this is actually really a time where we are having to release and like reckon with and release a lot of the toxic patterns and dynamics that we might carry relative to Libra and placing our power outside of ourselves, especially with that Pluto and Capricorn squaring the nodes right now, which is very powerful, very timely. It's like, how have you given your power away for external authority to external authority, to systems? And, you know, all these old traditional systems that have said, "Mm -mm, this is what we're doing because this is the way it's always been done. 
So just get with the program and carry on. And if you want to do that in an Aries thing of saying, actually, I want something different. Actually, that doesn't feel right for me. Actually, fuck off and don't put your hands up my vagina, right? Like, which is what doctors do as a part of um, birth. Um, You will get a massive kickback huge it's like what are you doing why are you not just saying yes and following the status quo in fact one of the main messages you'll get is this and this is abhorrent Isabel I wonder what you think about this one of the things that was the most triggering for myself and my sister mainly as well in that delivery room was that the female a particularly one female midwife crouched down and said to my sister who was trying to advocate for me and be my voice when I couldn't be, said, excuse me, do you know that our jobs are on the line here? That to me is where, because she was, we, we, we were resisting what their advice was, right? And what we mm-hmm. actually wanted to practice patients. We wanted to not go into an emergency birth, but we actually wanted to carry on to try and see if I could have a natural birth. and. Um, that to me was the moment that um, really gets to the epicenter of what is currently wrong with the birth, like with birthing in- institutionally, um, when it comes to the you know medical institutions and the way that they treat birth. What is actually, even though it might not be overtly spoken, as she gave away in that moment, what is actually ultimately centered in that room is not the mother, is not the baby. Mm. It is the medical protocols. It is protocols. It is the system. It is because even as far as the mother and baby is prioritized relative to we want the baby and child to be alive. This is based on making sure that the statistics don't show that they are causing birth fatalities, right? Mm. It's still about statistics, Mm. still about numbers. It's like as long as you're holding your baby at the end of that, safe in your arms, right? Safe, unquote, unsafe. Even if you both are completely traumatized, completely for life, right? I carried birth trauma my whole life. In fact, most of us walking around on this planet carry birth trauma and we don't even know it. Yeah. They don't care about that because as long as there's that box that's ticked that says they're both alive and like physically well, you know, that is what is centered, not the actual human beings in front of them and the baby that is in that belly in terms of case by case, right? Um, It just shakes me with honestly, with so much rage because that every moment that we're speaking, babies are being born in hospitals right now. And that is the norm. And women's power is being taken away from them and agency is being taken away from them. And the, and the way that they are using the way that they are doing that the way that they are getting what they want via you know because it's not even necessarily the midwife's fault per se on an individual level they have been so conditioned like from from their education right like they they have to follow out these things or they do lose their jobs and you know whatever it might be there's such a deep you know they have to conform to this um uh what was I saying I lost my thread there um (laughs) well I guess like uh, I'll just pause for a second and like what you're saying I think really encompasses and this reaction of this midwife and 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 it's not to like oh my gosh this woman what forget her like 
I think what you're saying of like, it really just paints a picture of the whole system. And I think that's what I have a really big issue with of like, what is like, what is the education that's going on that, that like, that is the thing that we're striving for of like, well, I have to do my job versus yes, I get that there's a protocol and I get that there's certain things that you do when, you know, like to help move the birth experience. But I, I understand all of that, but I feel like a lot of it is not necessary. Like if you are in birth and you need to release some oxytocin, you can go start making out with your partner and that will release it naturally versus here, take this pill and do it now. All of these things that are so sped up that it's like, why are we doing all of that? Like, fuck your protocol in this moment, because ultimately that's not really helping the experience. You're just trying to get to the end destination of a quote, healthy mom and baby. And like, I think the way that we've gone about that is, has gotten really lost in the system that you're describing. And it's super common, like in the United States, it's become a whole business. It's very expensive to have a baby in a hospital where it's like, they just give you drugs and like, just will put this into you. And it, it is totally unnecessary. Like, where did we lose all of it? And I, again, not to say that sometimes you need to go into an emergency section or something happens and you do need medical intervention, but I'm assuming that most often than not, that's not really necessary. Like that, that shouldn't be the protocol to follow. It's like, let's trust the mom, Mm -hmm. help her guide her. What does she want? And then go into action when it's really necessary versus yeah. What we're saying of like going in and just doing all these things. And the woman has now lost her sense of self and And I guess like, as I'm saying this too, I've also heard other birthing stories from friends who are totally okay with like, I went in, they gave me this, I don't even know what I took. I had the baby and all good. And, and I don't want to like demonize that experience either, but there's a part of my heart that I'm like, oh man, like this is such an opportunity to like really be connected with your own power and strength. and like it's just been given away like that. I don't know. Part of me is like, oh man, like, man, I don't know. I I have a hard time navigating both of those things because I know that some people don't want a natural birth and they don't want, give me all the epidurals and all these things. But I'm like, why? Like, why? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I totally hear what you're saying, Isabel, as well, to really just honor the fact that um, many women will choose to take that path of, you know, okay, um, these medical, I'm going to hand it over to the medical professionals. I'm going to take the, you know, I, you know, people decide way ahead of time. I'm going to have an, um, an epidural or they might even have an elective C, C-section, whatever it might be. Um, and okay, that's your choice. That's the whole point is that you should be allowed a choice. But what I think is, is, is angering and not right is that, um, a lot of women 
don't know their options. They don't know that another way is possible. And yes. if they were to know this, then at least they can then make an informed decision. And they still might say, hey, do you know what? I'm actually not ready for that. I, I would I would like I would like to go in for the the epidural. And I, you know, because it is true that I think I I think there is there is preparation that is involved both mentally and emotionally. Um, and maybe some people aren't ready for that, but at least to know that you have the option, you know, and I guess yes. people don't know that they have the option because just as you said, Isabel, that's the thing that I wish we were taught this at school even. It's like those four hormones in birth that are naturally occurring hormones and that they require, it requires um, to be completely, you know, the optimal, um, I wrote it, I wrote it down here as well, um, that the, for birth to proceed optimally, um, women should be should be left undisturbed and unobserved right and that it is through those are the two things that i just i mean unobserved and undisturbed those are the exact you have the exact opposite experience when you are in a delivery unit um yes and the the four hormones that are need to kind of naturally unfold the first is like like you said oxytocin um which is the love hormone and that is needed actually for labor to the beginning the beginning parts of labor to really happen and to continue and then you go into the beta endorphins which is a natural opiates they are natural painkillers then you go into the epin there's the epinephrines and no repinephrines as well, which are the fight or flight hormones. They have, they play a natural and important part in the process. And then and then the prolactin, which is the mothering hormone, which is needed for breast milk and breastfeeding. But of course, what mm-hmm. happens is it's the it's the interventions, interventions that start even before the birth that can happen in your antenatal appointments where it's like, mm, you're 38 weeks now, we're going to monitor the situation. If labor doesn't, if there seems to be no signs of labor, maybe we should have a, an induction, like a medical induction or a, you know, whether, whether pessary or we will sweep you or basically we will medically uh, kickstart labor rather than waiting for it to happen naturally and that's really early on you know it can happen really early on and as soon as those as something medically is introduced you are interrupting the body's natural capabilities of it's like a beautiful orchestra of hormones that happen naturally and you and if you stop one and inhibit one you are inhibiting all of them they need each other to carry through so that the whole birthing process can happen the way it's meant to i mean i've i've read this i've i i learned about this through this incredible essay called ecstatic birth nature's hormonal blueprint for labor by dr sarah buckley and this was part of my education before birth. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind. I was like, how do we not know this about our own bodies? Yes. This is incredible that we're capable of doing this. But like, the, this is the thing. In order for that, all those all those hormones to naturally, naturally um, cascade, I know in many ways, you know, to, to naturally progress. Yeah, and, the domino and, effect. Yeah. Yeah. 
to naturally do that, you need to have the right conditions for that to happen. You know, oxytocin is, you know, low lighting, your loved ones around you, people you trust, not random freaking strangers. Like, you know, how can you feel relaxed and oxytocin flowing when that's the case? How can you feel relaxed and oxytocin flowing when a doctor is, is, putting his hands up your vagina to check how dilated you are every half an hour, an hour, you know? Um, these are all the little things. And I I wouldn't have known about that, you know? And this is why I'm so glad that I did this education because it was like, oh, oh, this incredibly powerful process is possible. And these are all the little things that are considered normal that will completely interrupt the process. And that can start very early on to the point that then What's really sad, Isabel, is that if you decide halfway through that, you know, actually, I really want to birth my baby naturally, you might not have a choice at that point, right? It's already been so intervened and so disrupted that you have to go into the delivery unit. You might have to take all of the painkillers because your body isn't producing the beta endorphins as it naturally would have done otherwise. You might have to have the C-section and all of this. Um... And I mean, I could share a little about how, I guess, what actually happened, um, you know, in the delivery unit and how I, well, actually, shall I start from how I actually came to this, I guess? Yes. With like the original seeded moment of, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so it was, um, my heart flutters when I think about when I want to, you know, when I go to share this or think about it even because, um, completely and utterly transformed my life in so many ways. I, um, so I, well, I was bought, I just for context as well. I, my mother, um, it was an 18 hour labor for my birth. It was the first birth and it was a epidural, which ended with a f- emergency forceps delivery. Um, and I, it was pretty apparent from the story that it was a very traumatic birth for both my mother and me. I wasn't breathing for a couple of minutes after I came out of the the womb. And there were many parts of it when I hear the story that was just very awful process. And um, I carry that with me and knowing that it was awful. And my mum, who was a powerhouse woman, she passed away like two and a half years ago now, a powerhouse woman. She has one of the highest like pain thresholds, every level pain thresholds that I can imagine. She's like Leo everything, by the way, talk about lion strength. She's like, she was super Leo. And even she, when she talked about birth was like, oh my gosh, it was, you know, just give me the, give me the drugs. Like it's so painful. It's so awful. It's so, you know, there was no sense of like empowerment or like it's what an incredible experience it can be, or, you know, it's just handed over to the medical professionals, numb it as much as you can because it's, it's, it's horrendous, you know, but it's worth it because of the baby on the other end, but it's horrendous. That's kind of the, and that's most, for so many of us, that's the story we carry from our mothers um, and from the, the, the women around us. Um, so when I met Takaha, everything changed in an instant. My whole view on birth, this, it was like a paradigm shift. I, Takaha is a Maori elder. The Maori are the indigenous people to New Zealand. And his wife, Christina, who she herself is actually, she's Scottish. Um, they live with their three children in, um, on, uh, on their land in, in, in New Zealand, in the, on the North Island of New Zealand or Aotearoa. 
And I went over in the beginnings of beginning of 2018, so um, like five years ago now. Well, I went over to um, New Zealand to learn from and about the Maori people. I have no ancestral connection there, but I I was I began to be really fascinated with the the indigenous earth-based wisdom that our, our global ancestors carry that has been so lost. We have been so severed from this this wisdom, from this knowing, from that is actually pretty essential for us to survive on this planet and to continue on living on this planet we we are i believe we are standing on the cliff edge we're standing on because we have been so severed from um what ties us to this earth to each other to ourselves i mean all the the, the levels of disconnection run so deep um and indigenous wisdom is and what is left of it it's like how can we re-listen to that and harness it and return to these ways as best we can and so i didn't know anyone over there i just went over and wanted to just sit at the feet of these elders and learn and um at the end of this program i did this beautiful 11 day journey i ended up going to stay with takaha one of the teachers one of the elders and his wife and I stubbed my toe extremely badly on their um, like mantelpiece and so badly that when we went down to collect water from the river the next day, I couldn't walk on it like at all. It was awful. It seemed I might have like even fractured or just really badly bruised it for sure. It's all really bad. So um, coming back up, Takaha said, I have this special ointment, right? Put your foot up and I'm going to do this massage on it and hopefully it will help. And while he did this, him and his wife proceeded to share with me um, the haputanga. Haputanga in is is the sacred ancient ways of Maori birthing. And these ways you can, if you hear about other indigenous ancient processes of birthing around the world, there are so many similarities. It just so happened that I all of a sudden, while having my foot massaged, received this incredible wisdom and it's something that we hadn't learned about, I hadn't learned about on the program and they Takaha and Christina practice this they teach Haputanga and they birthed their three children at home in the middle of nowhere one hour at least from any hospital and these three children are gorgeous they were they're healthy they're thriving and they were just running around while they were sharing this with me and it was just, like I say, such a paradigm shift, completely unmedicated. Takaha himself delivered the children himself. And so with their, you know, ancient practices, the man plays a key role in, um, in the birth and in leading up to the birth too, supporting the mother, massaging the feet of the mother every day at yes. the end. This was some of what, what they were sharing, um, what he was sharing. And, um, he was, they were trying to share with me, Georgia, when the time comes, you could do this too. There is so much fear that is pummeled into us. Um, and it's simply not true. Like, and this is this, you know, I carried this with me for many years, even though being, becoming a mother wasn't on the horizon for me yet. 
they would always check in with me too. They were like, Georgia, you know, is, might you have a baby? And they wanted to like help me support that, help support that process for me when the time came. And they did. I was so lucky to have their guidance in the lead up to Leo's birth. I'm so grateful to them. But that was the opening moment for me that, that another way was possible and that everything we've yes. been taught about what is necessary for birth is not the case. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and I was so grateful that I actually, it just so happened that in the lead up to Leo's birth, just about like a, just under a year previous to, to Leo being born, my oldest best friend, Ellis Higgins, from my childhood in London, she gave birth to her baby Nova unassisted at home. Just her mother was there um, and her family were in the house, but and but she she gave birth to that baby in the pool, um, only gas and air, and it was like a six hour birth, I believe. It was six hour labor. Wow. Um she and she did that through hypnobirthing. So hypnobirthing is this these teachings around birthing that are basically about trusting your body and your baby and returning to that natural those natural maternal instincts that we carry and using many practices like a lot of breathing techniques um and a lot of the meditation a lot of meditation leading up to the birth that essentially mm. is that deconditioning and reconditioning the mind um like birth is safe right i have some here of like some of my um, some of my like th- the affirmations that I was saying to myself and that I had around me, like my baby knows when and how mm-hmm. to be born. Like I birth calmly, I birth gently, I birth safely. Yes. Um, so that's a lot of, it's literally like hypnotically, you know, in it, taking yourself into a hip, hypnotic state where you can to really, um, suggest make suggestions to the mind that completely rewire the mind it's a new story it's a new narrative of birth and what birth can be and I was like well look at the proof is in the pudding Ellis gave birth to her gorgeous baby girl at home completely pretty much unassisted um you know unmedicated and I was like if she can do it I can do it and Ellis became a hypnobirthing practitioner because of the incredible experience she had and how passionately she now feels about natural birthing. And she like took me through like a six week um, course via the Hypnobirthing Institute, um, Hypnobirthing International. And that was the preparatory work that I that I had with her. I also had, but I don't, I do want to mention, I also had some incredible guidance from Samara Concepcion, who's a birth doula, educator, and filmmaker. She's making an incredible film right now called Birthing, Birth, excuse me, Birth, A New Story. So I don't want to forget the incredible um, sessions of guidance that she gave me as well in education. But yes, like Ellis Higgins and Dream Birth Hypnobirthing is the name of her, um, her practice. Mm. I, I mean, oh, wow, it just... And like you said earlier, Isabel, before we jumped on the call, it takes a village. That includes preparing for birth. Like you are not meant to do this alone. Like that support system is so key, especially if you are doing this deconditioning work of, you know, tuning out the fear mongering messages, which yes. are everywhere. Oh my everywhere. God. 
if I movies. think of birth in a movie, it's awful. Uh, it's just, it's so frustrating because it can be so many other things, like you said, and it not only like empowering and yes, but like you can also have orgasms during birth. Like that just blows my mind that you can have an orgasm as you're having your baby. And I think as you mentioned about preparing before you had uh, Leo and before he came into this physical world, human world, um, like it's really about, I think for me of like, wait, where did this fear come from? Like, what's the story that I'm being told about birth? Is that something that I resonate? Why, you know, and just kind of like with anything, just kind of like peeling back and like, wait, this isn't, this isn't the belief that I want. And I love the example of your friend of like, sometimes you just need to see that there's a different way to do things. And the more that you educate yourself and read, and it's kind of like, it's like, I just envision you seeing this door of like birth. And then it's like, oh, wait, let me just open it and see what's in the room. And then you just see all of these different ways and people and uh, cultures and experiences that can be so different than what's on the other side of the door of the fear and that it's really painful and that you just trust the doctor a hundred percent and yeah. lose yourself along the way. Totally, yeah. totally. And it, 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 I, I think it's, it's important to note that, you know, even though I was carrying this seed, this, some of the strongest stories you can imagine, right? Like literally standing there in front of Takaha Christina and their three healthy, gorgeous, beautiful children, healthy children, um, on their land in the middle of nowhere where, you know, right, like looking at the place where Christina gave birth to them in the middle of like the living room, you know, and it's like, and then hearing Ellis's story, but it's like, Eve, despite that, and despite how deeply and powerfully that seed had been laid years before, the amount of work I had to do, Isabel, to really get those stories, those narratives into my bones. One of the, I think one of the ways for anyone that's listening that is thinking about is pregnant or wants to birth in this with more of the natural ways or is thinking about it or wants a child in the future, even one of the things I would highly recommend is the book, um, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, I believe is the name. And at the beginning of that book, she begins before just kind of any instructional processes. The first section is just birth story after birth story after birth story. I must have read like 50 birth stories of women that birthed naturally either at home or in birthing centers that were like, you know, all about natural birthing that I needed that. I needed that. And some of them ended in, you know, that they didn't, some of them, you know, um, ended like one of them, the mother, the mother died, something did go wrong there, but that was one, just one of the stories, but, you know, and they went in all different directions and all kinds of things happened. But yes. what, what I learned through reading that was, oh my goodness, we have been so lied to. We have been so lied to. This mm. is like one of the things that it comes down to, you know, I, uh, it really, uh, I think people that have these perspectives um, and a lot of like sort of those that people mock people that have some of these perspectives as being like, oh, conspiracy theorists or whatever it might be. But honestly, I think that this is just a way to maintain the status quo, because honestly, when it's when I say I don't trust the government, like that, that has been me since I'm 60, I was 16 and it goes really deep. 
really noticing and being aware that when it comes to the, you know, the institutional level of our world, of our societies, our cultures at large, for the last 2000 years of patriarchy, fear is a currency that they use. There is no doubt that, and that is what we're looking at. We're dealing with, we're shedding we're, we're deeply addressing and reckoning with when it comes to Pluto and Capricorn, where Pluto has been for the past 15 years and is now really like beginning to fully leave and enter Aquarius. And we are addressing like that Capricorn, you know, where so much like judgment and shame and conditioning and restriction and oppression and the way that that agenda is carried out, you know, it's divide and conquer division from yourself, division from your baby, division from your partner, division from your family, division from your body, like, and we will conquer you. Our agenda will be the one that will prevail and be carried out, which actually ultimately is a profit-fueled agenda. It really just always freaking comes down to money, to the that profit line running, rising up at the top. But fear is so very much used to, to, to fear creates disconnection and what I realized more than anything I knew that would be the case I knew the minute that I would step into that birthing that that delivery unit that fear would be all around me and that I would be being told and being thrown statistics at about that my baby might die and that I might die and that something might happen and everything that I knew to be true about myself and my baby and my feeling into my body and my trust in my body would have and all the preparation I did with my mind, right? Which just, you know, this is what I, I wrote down before. I was thinking about this before. It re- Birthing requires you to, like I said, get in completely surrender to and trust your limbic system. Society, the Capricorn society within which we live, oh no, we are absolutely mind focused, logic focused, right brain focused. And so in order to prepare myself to get into the limbic state and to trust that I had to do so much clearing on the mental level right all those stories Mm -hmm. all those narratives so that when I stepped in those things that would usually have hooked me into fear especially coming from a medical professional someone that had with this external authority this doctor that walked in you know I had to just remain centered in myself. But I think one of my biggest my biggest fears was that as much work as I had done and my partner had done work and my sister, we'd all done preparatory work together, but I had done the most work. Plus I felt what was going on within my body. Birth is a mystery. This is the thing. You said this earlier, Isabel. Birth is treated as a medical event. It is not a medical event. It is something entirely different. It doesn't belong in a hospital, quite frankly. Birthing centers, yes, may, yes, maybe, but not a, a hospital. So, um, my 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 sister and my partner had um, done some preparatory work with me, but the birth is a mystery. The only person that he's that still to this day, the best medicine, the best medical practices, research practices in the world still don't know what is fully actually going on inside a woman's body when she's in birth, when she's in labor. The only person that has even close to an idea of what is really going on is the birthing mother, right? Mm. And so therefore my partner and my sister, who is an incredible advocate for me outside of me, they don't know. So as much preparatory work that they had done, what I noticed was that when it came to the doctors and the 
um, midwives pushing their agenda and what they, how they wanted birth to go, they made a beeline for my partner, for Aris. And how, and fear as used as currency was absolutely the case in that delivery room. I sat with my sister today and my sister cried in my arms because we spoke about the birth process again. We spoke about the birth story and what happened so that I could kind of, you know, remember some of it um, because it was almost a year ago now and she helped me do that. But in, in doing that, she completely broke down again because ultimately that birth was an extremely traumatizing experience for her and for Aris. Both of them say it is the most traumatic thing they've ever been through. But I'll tell you this, this is for sure. And Molly agrees with me when I said this today, my sister, they were not traumatized by my birth. They were not traumatized by the birth of Leo. They were traumatized by the mid- most of the midwives and the doctor of that room. Absolutely. Um, and they they were manipulated, coerced. They were f- pummeled with fear of your, your, the baby might die. The baby might die. We need to get take her into the emergency room straight away. And because what happened was as soon as we were in that room, my birth, my labor had been so long. It takes as long as it needs to. Mm-hmm. I was still going strong. Yes. So I was I hadn't tired out. Like I was still, it was tiring, but I was still there, you know, 39, 40 hours without, without sleep, no med, med, like medication or anything. But I was still going like that tethering to my breath. Like I felt, I was like, I'm okay. I'm doing this. And it started getting really strong. And oh my gosh, <laughs> if you want to feel your power, feel those uh, transition contractions <laughs> or surges going through you. It is unbelievable. It's incredible. You know, some women describe like it feels like they're going to split in half. It's so intense, but you can't even describe it as pain. It feels like power. That is that is what it is. It completely takes over you. You need to be in your body. You need to be able to leave your mind to just trust and be held. Um, and I was, I was in that and the doctors came in and said, right, the labor's gone on for too long. Um, we need to, we, we, she needs to go in for an emergency C-section. And I had to come out of my, between my contractions, I had to come out of my trance lights today. And I said, I had to, because they weren't listening to my sister, because she isn't, wasn't the father, wasn't the parent, wasn't a parent. They completely dismissed her. She was supposed to be my voice so that I could stay in my trance-like state, in my, you know, limbic state. Mm -hmm. They said, nope, she is, she, uh, she, you know, she, you're not the you're not the parent, so she needs to go in for an emergency C-section. And I I had to say, actually, I know what's going on in my body. I can feel the baby coming. I want to give an hour. I want to practice patience. Please give me another hour. I had to beg them to give me another hour to leave the room and to let me keep birthing my baby. And I did that again for another hour. And because I did that, thank God I did that, Isabel, and thank God my, you know, I was backed up by my sister and, and Aris, but I, um, more so my sister, because Aris was really in an absolute state of terror and fear, but I truly believe that they make a beeline for the fathers with this. Yeah. Um, and that thank goodness I did that because this is the thing. Finally, at, th- at 47 hours, I went in and I, 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 I they were, <laughs> They got me to go in for an emergency delivery. They said, but at this point, um, 
there's so many factors to this, but I did go in for an emergency delivery. But what they said is we'll take you in. We're going to do an examination. If he is farther enough down, right, further enough down your birth canal, then we can't do a C-section. We'll have to do a forceps delivery where we'll pull him out with the forceps tool. If he isn't far and if he isn't far enough down, then we will do a C-section and we'll take him out that way. So of course the hope was that I'd birthed him down far enough, right? And that was the case. When they went in, they basically did a quick examination and they were like, his head was right there. They were like, oh, yep. Okay, we can't do a C-section. We have to do a forceps delivery. He's coming out that way. And thank so this is the thing because I said, leave me alone please let me leave me alone to let me birth my baby back off. Like, um, he was able to, I was able to birth him down with like those several more hours, birth him down far enough that he was able to be at a birth through my, like a vaginal birth. Thank goodness. Cause there's so many benefits to baby with things like that as well. Like that are just extra, you know, important, um, benefits there. But that can, you know, that that aren't the case with C-section. But and you know, there's many as well. Like the healing process with C-section can be a lot more challenging, etc. So I was really lucky with that. But I, it, I do feel like their fear and coercion did ultimately get to them because they were fearful. They couldn't track the heartbeat, or they were. They, it was an uncons- inconsistent heartbeat as well. But that is actually very normal for the transition part of labor. You know, it is very normal. And ultimately, and very sadly, uh, Isabel, I think what it comes down to is that it was nearing the end of the shift. And I've heard this story time and time and again. It at seven seven a.m. They change shifts, so different midwives leave, leave, midwives leave their shifts and a whole new midwives come on doctors leave doctors come on and so it's it was coming up my the oh excuse me 8 a.m it's 8 a.m to 8 p.m those are these 12 hour shifts so leo was born at 7 30 a.m and that is no coincidence you you hear this story time and time and again as that time of 8 a.m is approached the pressure is amped up because it is is so much easier and simpler for for them to have those births done so that they can like easily transition to the and pass things over to the next team um it's unbelievable i've heard this time and time and again so this is the thing it's like about their timing birth is outside of time outside of space it should be left undisturbed right it's it's on its own clock and the frustrating thing is that i held leo was completely healthy completely fine and there was there never was any i do believe this there was never any need for he did have a large head so maybe i think i would have have ripped significantly if i had given birth to him naturally but i think i could have done it i really believe that it was just mm-hmm. taking longer because he had a big head it also took longer because of the amount of of interruption to the natural birthing process at the end there and yeah i just I, he was, he was healthy and he, it makes me so, so angry that they did that to my sister, that they did that to, to, to our, to my partner. Um, and I said this all the way along as much fear as was coming at me from all around all these doctors, this doctor, all these midwives saying that this could happen, this could happen. Um, we don't know if we can hear the heartbeat. Oh my goodness, the heartbeat is inconsistent. Um, 
at no point can you believe this, Isabel. This is what I mean about the number one, the training I did beforehand and the education I was lucky to have. But number two, the power of our maternal instinct that we all have as women is that I knew that the baby, that Leo was okay. I could feel, I was like, everything is going the way it's meant to. I could just feel it. I had spent 47 hours almost like connecting with my body and my baby. I was like, we're, we're good. We've got this. Will you just leave me the hell alone? And like, you know, I, and I know it almost sounds big headed or like, what do I, what do I know? These were medical professionals. You can't see what's going on inside of you. Again, it, the best guess that, it, can you, as a woman, you'd think that as a mother, you'd think the person that had the most fear in that room would be me, but I didn't have that fear. So what does that tell you? Right? Like I, there's, it's, I just, it really awakened me to the, the fear as currency, which is in our system that we, and that we unfortunately, sadly have to work so hard to galvanize. Like, like I say that, that North Node in Aries that I have very little of in my chart. It was a lot of hard work to galvanize that inner warrior, to stand up to ourselves, um, in the face of a lot of deep conditioning that goes back generations and a lot of constant fear that is pummeled at us. Yes. And, oh, I mean, there's a couple of things that you mentioned of like, you were so connected to your body and your experience and your baby that it's like, unshakable. Like it was like, don't even try to come at me with your fear. Like, no. And I think the part of you like, while you had your partner and your sister in there with you, really like, they can advocate for you, but they're not in your body with you. You know, like, it's like, of course, when you have these professionals that go in and kind of like, well, we need to do this because the baby's going to die. Of course, like, it's natural for your sister and your partner to be like, oh my gosh, like, what do we do? This is like really scary. This is really scary. Of course, we want the baby to be okay. Like, Georgia, are you okay? You know, kind of going through these like really big changes, but Ultimately, I think the part about let me learn before I go into labor, let me be empowered in my choices, whether that's to have a natural birth or an epidural or whatever. I think all of it, whatever you decide to do, it's for you to really be aware of your experience and of your choices and all of the different possibilities that it could go. But like whatever it is that you choose just being really empowered in that and not being bullied. Like, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast about just women's menstrual cycles. That in and of itself is like a whole other thing, but like, you know, your body, like, and, and if you're at a point where you don't know your body right now, that's okay too. I think sometimes when I talk to generators and a human design and I'm like, you're all about the body and pleasure. And they're like, what? I'm so outside of my body um, and that's okay. So it's like, great, let's just build the muscle of like, what does it feel like to be in your body? Can you be safe in your body? You know, go outside, put your feet on the ground and feel the mm-hmm. feet, feel your feet on the grass. You know, like how can we bring all of those different elements? And then when it comes to the birthing process, be so present and grounded. And like, even just to hear you share this, I'm just like, I'm like in the delivery room with you. I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I'm just like, yes. And then I just picture you just being like, so 
centered and like glowing and everyone's kind of like freaking out. The shift is going to change, which, oh my God, don't even get me started on that. Like we are not on your timeline. I'm sorry, but no, uh, no, I'm not sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, I think even just to hear you say all of these things is just like, fuck yeah. Like you did that. You did that. And you had support, of course, of your sister and your partner, but like, and Leo, like he knew it's like, mom, I'm just taking a little bit longer. I've got a big head. Just give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. He, exactly. Like that's one of the, you know, I trust my body and my baby that my baby knows when and how to be born. Like, and they have their own timing. Hey, we know this as well. Like with, as being human design practitioners and astrologer and me as an astrologer, like I'm, um, you are human design practitioner, me as an astrologer, like we, it's that, that soul knows and is intentional about when it's going to be born and when that moment of birth is going to be. Everything is divinely timed. It's just about surrendering and trusting to that. Can I share as well, relative to, to that, like, and th- thank you, like, because I, I was truly shocked at, I think that's one of the reasons why I broke down in front of the delivery unit was I knew the amount of, um, force that was going to external force that was going to be against me on a level that I never would never have 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 experienced before and that is absolutely the truth that of what happened and I didn't know how well I would be able to hold my own up against that because I'd never been in that situation before so that was my fear it's incredible that that was my fear going into birth rather than the birthing process itself Mm. and there were two moments Isabel that like honestly again if I can do this anyone can do this if you want to have an empowered birthing experience that is on your own terms where you are fully in trust of your what the wild woman that you are right the, the the powerful woman that you are and just trusting yourself and your body and your baby um if i can do this anyone can do this because i came from so little airy so little self assertion so complete loss in the others lo- 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 so so much of like losing myself in others and their wants and needs and opinions and there were these two, these two moments in the delivery room the first was um when the like panic button was pushed because the baby's heartbeat was in, was uh irre- irregular and which is very normal it happens but they pushed it and it was big emergency and all these like extra midwives came in and the doctor came in and all like there was like all of a sudden there was like 10 12 people in the room talk about going from undisturbed and unobserved to like full of people right unnecessary unnecessary what are the 12 people going to do no Seriously. literally and see a lot of that a lot of that is about i feel it's absolutely about pressure coercion intimidation it really is and also they offer have like students observing and at the top of my birthing preferences I'd literally written no unnecessary people in the room right including students that was at the top of my birth preferences that the doctor had a copy of this everyone had this but by the way as soon as the doctor received this he just threw it to one side and it fell on the floor he didn't give a shit at all so that's the medical profession for you no um the standards and the norm Uh, it's unbelievable like I just can't even believe this like this full document I prepared for my preferences about my baby so yeah the room flooded with people and I literally said I they they were like emergency emergency they were trying to 
grab me and talk to me and tell me what to do. And they, they, they were trying to put all of us into this absolute high alert state, which is the absolute worst thing that you can do to a birthing mother, right? That needs to be relaxed, calm, trusting, because it will completely interrupt, interrupt the hormones entirely. Yeah. And, and, and the baby will feel it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful. It's, it's completely against birthing wisdom. Like what anyway so they they all came in and the first what I did is I thought what they want me to do right now is to be as high alert and fearful as them but what I did was in between the contraction I literally stood up I knew I had to go into my right brain which I had to which is awful that I had to but I had to and I said excuse me can I just ask why is this room now filled with people do you need to be here? Do you need to be here? And there were these, I said, anyone who doesn't need to be in this room, can you please leave? And there was just like this group of people at the back that just like left the room, including these two really sheepish looking students with clipboards that looked at each other like, and they ran out. And again, just would never, that never would have been me in the past that would do that. But again, I think that maternal instinct too, I was like, at the end of the day, this isn't about me just sticking up for myself. I'm protecting my baby right now like this isn't just about me anymore this is about this baby and this is where this whole other level kicks in the other thing was there was that and then there was this this midwife that was at the front of this collection of midwives this swarm of midwives that were coming towards me like you said Isabel we didn't need all these people like it was just pure intimidation and this woman at the center in the forefront honestly to I will never forget the like hideousness of what approached me energetically she just said get on the bed, get on the bed, get on the bed now. No love, get on the bed. And I said, I was like, excuse me. And I just stayed calm. And I said, again, had to come into my right brain, but I said, I actually have educated myself about what is going on with my body. And I know that we don't need to be doing this right now and going to this high alert. In fact, it's really actually unsafe for myself and the baby to be doing this. And also the last thing I'm doing is getting on my back. I will birth in any position other than um so I will be getting on my back um and like all of them were just sort of didn't even know what to do that I was coming back with that energy and um I was so proud of myself that I did that because I didn't just fall into the dynamic that they thought I would fall into and that they wanted in so it it just like I said, it did end up in an emergency delivery. Um, it ended up with a forceps delivery, but I, I went through it, you know, I went through it all the way almost to the end. I mean, his head was basically coming out and one of the midwives afterwards, she came to my room and this was such a golden, like golden victorious moment for me. She said she had been one of the visiting midwives in the middle of the uh, middle of the, um, when I was at home birthing, um, in labor, excuse me. And she's called Shyla and she was, had been, has been a, a, a midwife for like 25 years or something. She has two children of her own and she's an Iranian woman. And she said, Georgia, I know you didn't have the birth that you wanted in the end, but you did so well. And what's incredible is that because you had a vaginal birth and you 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 did that the next birth like you've prepared your body for that in so many ways if you want to birth next time your body has gone through that now because you went through that and she said also Georgia when I came to visit you in the middle I she said I was astounded at the level of calm of peace of control of strength that you had 
And that made me so proud, Isabel, because like she has been a midwife for 25 years. She said, Georgia, I screamed through my entire two births. Like I just screamed all the way through. And women think that's the way it needs to be, to be kind of on top of your body, looking down into it instead of from the inside out, just knowing and trusting. And like, it was the affirmations, it was the meditations, it was the education, and it was the breathing. Like these kept me tethered and centered and just knowing. And it was the most empowering, beautiful experience. And I'm so grateful for it, Isabel. Like, I'm so grateful for it. And I'm not fearful about having a second because of it as well, even though it didn't go to plan entirely. But yeah. Well, I think, as I mentioned before, of like, whatever you decide, and even if you decide birth is birth is a mystery birth is I remember in my doula class um she was like birth is a marathon like you're gonna be in labor like three days minimum especially if you're a first-time mother and so Mm -hmm. think about when you're running in a marathon your shoelace gets I mean I'm not a runner at all but like there's so many things that could happen. It starts raining your shoe gets on you lose a shoe you you hurt your you know like you get hydrated. Like there's so many different things that could happen that you could never foresee, but having the like calm and the energy and just the groundedness going into it, I think makes it so different, makes it such a different experience. And it's like, who knows, like maybe if you would have been at home, it would have still been the same outcome. Maybe this was the birth, the exact birth that you needed to have, even though it was different than what you had envisioned or expected. I know for me, that's usually always the case. Like, no matter how much I try to like, plan things out, like life happens, and it very rarely goes exactly the way that I planned. So while it might not been have like what you envision, like it was the perfect birth for you and Leo. Like at the end of the, of the day, it it was exactly what needed to happen. And like, mm-hmm. oh, like I love the visual of this midwife being like, you need to get on your back. And you're like, actually, no, thank you. Like, think about like, we are animals. Like think about an animal being on their back exposed. Like how would, that like how does that make any sense for anyone to birth that way like that just or like when you're getting like your annual checkup like it's off it's so awkward I don't know anyone that's like yay this is so relaxing having some like random person touch me like no so I do you know how that began do you know how that began why the the norm now the standard is women birthing on their back it's it's because there was a a rich man um i believe it was in the the uh, like it might have been in yes. the 1800s actually yeah he said hmm i want to it was i a want king to. i think yes it was a king that's right he wanted to view the birth of his child so he said i want her legs up and i want the doctor there on a stool at the end of the bed and i want to see the birth. i want to see the baby come out and so that then became like fashion and that became then standard because then doctors realize, like the you know the doctors realized well actually this is great it's really convenient for us because we've got the perfect view and access so it, it became all about them right actually it became about everyone yeah. but the mother and the baby yes yes I know for sure if I have a baby I am will not be on my back 
Yes. I will be squatting down. <laughs> and those, those surges will tell you straight away those contractions are so much harder on your back. Like, and your body tells you right away, get off your back. Like, you're not meant to be there. Exactly. That's like yeah. rule number one. Okay. Yes. I'm glad you're not going to do that if you have a baby. <laughs> no, no. Oh my goodness. Oh, Georgia, I have, I, as I said in the beginning, I feel so honored that you decided to share your birth story here with me and the listeners. Like it gave me chills when you said that. So like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel so, so happy and just like, oh, like I don't have a baby yet, but I'm like, go moms and birthing people like we're fucking making humans you know like that's amazing that's 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 a whole other level of empowerment and even and even just like little instances within your birth story that alone is like so empowering of being like you know we came in they were all fearful and I responded like cool calm and collected like that in of itself in whatever scenario it is of course in this one it's giving birth but like that is that is powerful like that in itself is powerful and oh I just I feel very inspired and lit up (laughs) after the Mm -hmm. our conversation I just feel like we can do anything (laughs) it feels really good so thank you oh you're so welcome and thank you for inviting me yes yes and to um to the listeners like how can they follow you if they're interested in astrology like how can they yeah how do they how can they work with you oh yes um yes so my uh thank you my website is georgiatokach.com www.georgia and then t-a-k-a-c-s.com um and there's information on there about um sessions with me astrology readings consultations um, and I, oh yeah, you mentioned in the gift. So I offer my readings in two ways. Um, I used to be entirely in the gift. Now I offer both priced and in the gift. So, um, there are those two options. Um, so in the gift is that I offer the session as a gift and simply invite a gift in return. Um, however much that might be, it could be nothing depending on your own many factors, including your own financial situation as well. So I'm really really passionate about working in the gift and gift economics itself so um yeah there is that piece there as well there's it's quite open um and I'm on Instagram too that's a good way to follow me because I'm on there quite a lot and um I share pictures of Leo sometimes too (laughs) as any mother does like I just love sharing photos of him um but at it's at Georgia Takax. Yeah, at Georgia Tokach. I'm practicing. I'm, I was sharing this with Isabel. I'm trying to get into the practice of sharing the original uh, pronunciation of my Hungarian name. I haven't yet fully like connected, talking about indigenous reconnection, I haven't fully reconnected with my Hungarian ancestors. That's like a new journey for me. So the first step is pronouncing it correctly. So yes, Georgia Tokach um, on Instagram as well. Yeah. Yes, perfect. And we'll have all of the links in the show notes, as well as some of the books that you reference, which I'm like, oh my God, I need to go read all of those. (laughs) And yeah, thank you so much, Georgia. I've absolutely loved this episode with you. And for our listeners, we will catch you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to support the show, 
please let me know by leaving a review and sharing it with your friends and family. Be sure to subscribe so you always know when a new episode is released. We'll see you next time. Bye.